Welcome to the Backyard Astronomer Podcast, where we talk astronomy, space, and science. From the Rockstar Studios, and brought to you by the Rockstar Group and Manzanita Insurance, I am Adam England, the Backyard Astronomer. Thanks for joining us again for another Backyard Astronomer special interview. This is the first time that we've had three guests in the studio. Yeah. Uh, two guests and, and one interviewer, I guess it is. Uh, I'm very happy to be here today with Manuel Lucero from the Museum of Indigenous People, mm-hmm. and also Joshua Valze, also from the Museum of Indigenous People. Thanks, guys. Hey, what's up? Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having us. So we got together recently as we're working on wanting to name some planets and stars. Yes. Pretty pretty cool thing. Yeah, and boy. it turns out we all kind of have a little back backyard uh, astronomy passion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of. Uh, mine's more of a Star Wars than Star anything else, but yeah. <laughs> and that's cool. Whatever brings you to science and science fiction, that's what we're all about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And I think that's kind of the premise of what brought us all together on this thing is that we're trying to bring education to the masses. Oh, yes. And you guys have made that a part of your lives. Sure. Yeah, both of us uh, uh, work and operate at the Museum of Indigenous People here in Prescott. Um, and uh, Josh is one of our board of trustees. He's also uh, uh, exhibit curator and uh, archaeologist, anthropologist, paleontologist, <laughs> anything with the ish, ish yeah. at the end of it, Josh Ist. does it. <laughs> um, I am the lowly executive director. Um, so uh, we, uh, at, at the museum, we, we try to do our best to educate the public um, about indigenous people, indigenous issues, and always trying to bring um, into the forefront native people as contemporary people and not always thinking about us in the past you know, people have a tendency to think hey we all live in teepees b we're all happy on the reservation yeah. See, we all chase buffalo we all have totem poles we all totem poles. It, it's a very cowboys <laughs> and indians mentality right, like sure. that's that's yeah. from the videos of the, the 1800s right the 1800s is the last time we existed yeah. and um yeah uh, not the case uh, very intrinsic people you have uh um chickasaw man who is an astronaut in NASA you have you know these indigenous folks that are college professors and uh, astronomers and um, doctors and lawyers and, and uh, entertainers and MMA fighters and you name it uh, we're, we're doing everything everyone else is yeah um, so we, we try to bring that as a, you know, as a forefront in everything we do uh, as far as educating the public and in when I first came to the museum you were showing me stuff that yeah, we, we've got objects that are thousands of years old, yes. but also stuff from what we're doing this week. Right. Yeah. But. <laughs> so just like every other culture that's still active on Earth, it's not like it's it's fully in the past. It's totally today. That's right. Yeah. You, in, in the same case, in our cultural case, you'll see a, a rabbit stick, which is about a thousand years old, kind of like a boomerang um, that was used for hunting rabbits. And right next to that will be a skateboard deck. You know, with this beautiful graphic art on it that has traditional motifs. Um, indigenous people are still living life indigenously uh, right here in the 21st century. And um, a lot of people are kind of, you know, taken aback by that because they're used to that Hollywood mythos that, you know, we all live in the past, we all speak, ooga, ooga, you know, me, big heap them, whatever. Um, and that is totally not the case, man. <laughs> And, and you guys both represent two separate tribes that yeah. you come from. Right. Tell me a little bit about your upbringings, where you guys come from, your origin stories. All right. 
Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I belong to the Hiatse Otam Nation. Uh, so that's the 12th district of the larger uh, Tohono Otam Nation. Uh, so the thing that makes us most famous, funny enough, is this symbol. This is known as the House of Itoi, also known as the Man in the Maze. Um, but in a lot of senses, like, I didn't grow up with this knowledge. And that's the thing that is from my generation, because I'm a Gen Xer, um, so I'm a part of, like, the first hacker culture, the Nintendo generation, grew up in the 80s and all that stuff. And um, because of the status of my nation, the Hiatsed Otam, we were considered extinct, which was kind of like a, a broad-based thing for all indigenous people, which is why we have the We Are Still Here movement, like, that's actively still going to this day. In fact, it's become a popular saying uh, just within 2022 that we are still here. National Geographic just did a, a, a whole splash about we are still here because, like Manny said, we are fighting that mythos, like indigenous people or Native Americans were here at a certain point, and our entire existence is only during the Western era with John Wayne and whatnot, and then we just went away after the Western wars were won and whatnot. So for the We Are Still Here movement, like it affected me even all the way back in the 80s and even growing up through the 90s and the 2000s because my nation was considered extinct all the way to the 1990s. And then we were finally recognized, federally recognized in the White House, um, I believe under the Clinton administration. So they said, nope, they're still here. Uh, so then, because for the longest time, I didn't know what I was. Um, and that'll tie into, like, you know, why we named certain planets and stars like we did, because just the existence of the Hiatsed Nation, it was a treasure hunt. Like, we, we had to hunt for that knowledge, and we had to do it through old-school genealogy before 23andMe and all this stuff yeah. and Ancestry.com. That didn't exist at the time. So me and my father, specifically my father, were going through old, like, microfilm at the Library of Congress and stuff like that. And we were looking for old census papers and just trying to figure out, like, okay, did any of these papers list what indigenous tribe you belong to? And then that's when we found out even the, the uh, enlistment papers and, and whatnot, the census, uh, that was systematically very, like, not to use a hot-button term, but it was very racist. Yeah. Like, we weren't even called by our nation name or our tribe, uh, but we defer to the word nation, uh, we were just kind of labeled Indian. And then if we weren't labeled Indian, uh, in most cases we were just labeled like Mexican or black. Yeah, or and, and whether by by deliberate racism or by ignorance. Yeah. You've got both of those things working hand in hand together and creating this problem for yeah. hundreds of years. Yeah, and not only that, but like it, it was also deliberate, specifically deliberate racism, because this was on the heels of the end of the American Indian Wars, okay. when a lot of these censuses were happening. So certain indigenous people did not want to be known as Indian because they knew they were going to be taken to these pretty much active concentration camps yeah. to go die. That's what reservations were. They weren't something kind out of the U.S. government's heart to give indigenous people a land to live on. We were marched there to die. Um, so that actively played into the census. Like, you did not want to label yourself as Native American or indigenous because then the U.S. government might round you up and just march you on it the It was an tiers. identifier. Yeah, and then just send you to these concentration It, it was a yellow camps. star to wear. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's a perfect yeah. analogy. So in most cases, we were fine being mislabeled. However, how that hurt us hundreds of years later is for people like me who are trying to hunt for 
my identity, what nation I belong to, we had to dig through all of that on top of the fact that we were considered extinct in the 90s, on top of the fact that, you know, we just didn't have any paper trail. Uh, so for me, that journey is what brought me into archaeology early on and into academia and education uh, because it was part of, like, not so much just a, a, you know, a backyard hobby or something like that. It was legitimately part of my heritage, and it was part of my self-identity. I had to try to hunt for what I was as an identifier, and for the longest time I was told all these stories. Like, I was told by my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother, like, oh, you're Indian. I'm like, okay, more what does that mean yeah more please yeah. <laughs> like let me, let's yeah. give some more info on that and then later on they would say like oh okay we think you're apache so we're like okay well let's look at the apache census maybe there's a name we can track which down. is a very blanket term that again has yeah, been applied yeah. to people <laughs> erroneously <laughs> exactly um like i know dozens of indigenous people in the southwest that are apache that are not apache it's yeah. just a it's a it's a hot button term that it's turned into which is a shame and um then once we found out we weren't that then we tr- search some more and then eventually through a census we were able to find that we had ties to Yuma, Arizona. And so we went down to Yuma, Arizona to the uh, territorial prison, the railroad and all the archaeological artifacts that are down there, Painted Rock and um, Antelope Hill are big ones. And uh, we started learning more and more about the specific nations that made up that area. And even then there was some systematic um, like mislabeling or racism that we had to pass through because a lot of the Southwest nations, including the Quechan, the Pima and the Tohono O'odham, uh, we were named after Spanish surnames. Of and course. We're not in Spain, but one of the Spanish names we were given was Papago, yeah. uh, which means like bean eater in rough translation. And it's a very derogatory term, but it's found in the current day academia. You'll still see references to the term Papago. And, for example, other nations that suffer from this are the Navajo. They're not the Navajo. They're actually the Diné Nation. And the Hopi, they were called the Moquai, which is a Spanish term. They're not the Moquai. They are the Hopi Nation. So this is something that we start seeing across the board with a lot of indigenous names. They are being named after countries that aren't a part of those nations. These aren't names we gave ourselves. These are names other people gave us. So for the longest time, we were calling ourselves this derogatory term because we didn't know better. We were like, oh, we're Papago, I guess. And then finally talking to the nations like the Quechan and finally the Tohono O'odham, they told us more about that history. So it's literally been a treasure hunt for me. Like I've had to go through a lot of these barricades to finally find my identifier, what I actually am, which is not only Tohono O'odham, but this extinct district known as the Hiatse O'odham. Uh, so it, it's, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of hurdle. Did for you me. grow up in Arizona? I grew up all over the place, <laughs> mainly the Southwest, but like Baja, California, uh, Southern California, Yuma, Arizona, Gila Bend. Um, so the entire Southwest from the Pacific Ocean down to like maybe the Sea of Cortez has kind of been my playground, which funny enough, like there's something to be said about ancestral memory because that's literally the original territories of the Tohono O'odham Nation. They were a migratory nation like a lot of nations were. So And they reached all the way down from the Sea of Cortez all the way over to Baja, California. Same place as you played. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was a fun thing to see that duality with, like, my roaming habits. Did you have uh, grandparents or great-grandparents or somebody else's great-grandparents that had any knowledge or memory of stories they may have heard from their grandparents? Were you ever able to find any no, of that? No. Uh, sadly, a lot of it was because there was so much disconnect. Um we literally everything we discovered about our people was within my generational lifespan. So 
I was finding it out with my father. Okay. And then with me and my father, my sisters then started finding out in situ or, or through proxy. Uh, so, not in situ, I'm used to using archaeological terms. <laughs> in situ. <laughs> where you found it. Right. In the ground. <laughs> so, but no, it, it was all um, within my generation, which I don't, like, I don't give my father enough credit until I start seeing people today that are using Ancestry.com and stuff like that. And I'm like, we did this before this even existed. Yeah. Like, we were doing old school Ancestry. And that gives, a, like, it was a lot because we were from that first generation, hacker generation. So we were learning about dot-coms before even studios even knew how to utilize dot-coms and websites. Um, and then we were utilizing digital documents before anybody was really utilizing those. So that generational upbringing as, as far as Gen X and then later on Gen Y and then the millennial generation, um, that helped me with this treasure hunt to assist my father uh, because he did all the analog uh, part of it, like going through the old school physical documents and going through the old libraries. And then I did the digital aspect. And then with our forces combined, we were able to get more and more info. So it was a good, it was a crazy journey. That still continues. <laughs> that still continues, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but thankfully, we have a lot more assistance because the technology is thankfully yeah. sped up and is a lot more accessible for everybody. Now, Manny, is your is your cultural history a little more documented than that? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you've got a very different <laughs> story. I, I do. Uh, fortunately, um, uh, the Chamagihia Yeli, the Acherki Nation, has one of the most well-documented tribes. Um, and Sadly, for some reasons. For many reasons. For, for many reasons. Um, well, for one, we have our own written language. So we were able to, I mean, before the, the whole Trail of the Tear, Trail of Tears thing and, and whatnot, we had our own national newspaper. We were uh, one of the, what they called, five civilized tribes. I don't know if that meant that we ate with forks and spoons <laughs> but, or whatever. Um, but um, they, even though we were literate and um, did have our own national newspaper and we, we emulated a lot, um, some of our non-native neighbors, uh, the government still found it, you know, in, in the depths of their heart to remove us from our homeland um, and, and send us on that death march to Oklahoma, where it's now Oklahoma. And, and multiple times. To, yeah. to my understanding, it was more in like the North Carolina area and then down into Georgia. So they started in Georgia and then kind of spread out from there. Um, the uh, Ichota um, was or uh, New Ichota was the, the the capital of the of the nation at the time. So they started in Georgia, and the the state of Georgia had a lottery actually, and um, they had this lottery that people could buy tickets for, and it was to um, to take uh, at will Cherokee land, Jeez. and uh, uh, President Andrew Jackson, who's on the twenty dollar bill, uh, told uh, the uh, Chief Justice John Marshall, who ruled in favor, Supreme Court Justice, ruled in favor of the Cherokee, saying, hey, this is their ancestral land, you can't do this. Um, he told Justice John Marshall to, uh, if he wanted to enforce that law, law he can enforce it himself. But he didn't have an army. Right, and uh, Jackson sent uh, the United States Army there to remove forcibly the Cherokee people, and um, they did. And like you're saying, they, they called them a civilized tribe. And, and these were homes that were just like any of the white settlers that were moving in. Absolutely. They, they were nice plantations. There was, mm -hmm. yeah, it, oh, yeah. 
Nice Georgia they were nice home. properties. Yeah. yeah. Nice Georgia home or South Carolina Again, home these or... these weren't teepees or no. something of that no, nature. No, no, no. It wasn't a mud hut. This no. was, yeah. No, no. We, we were not living in mud huts, and no. we weren't never lived, ever lived in teepees. Um, we were sedentary people. We always had been. Um, but, yeah, they, they rounded us up and did the thing. Um, my uh, folks, uh, once they got to Oklahoma, um, uh, started again. And um, when my grandfather, this is before the state of Oklahoma was a state, it was still Indian Territory. When he was six years old, the... Uh, the, the name says a lot. Yeah. It's, it's Indian Territory. Yeah, it's Indian yeah. Territory. Yeah. But the, the, um, this is toward the end of the Indian Wars, and um, <clears throat> the, uh, the government had these boarding schools and where their motto was, kill the Indian, save the man. And when my grandfather was six years old, the... Um, government came and rounded up him and other children and uh, took them off to uh, from Pryor, my, my grandfather was from Pryor Creek, uh, Oklahoma, uh, took them up to uh, Haskell, Kansas, to Haskell Indian School. Uh, my grandfather ran away from there when he was nine. Do you know what about year that was? Oh, geez. I, I, I don't know. I just know the story. <laughs> um, I'm assuming it was uh, early, 90s, early 1900s. Yeah. Uh, before 1920. Okay. But they they took him up there. He ran away from there when he was nine. Um, He never spoke of anything that happened to him there, but I'm sure it was awful. Um, Hearing the stories of other boarding school survivors and whatnot, I'm sure he wasn't having a pleasant time there. But he never learned to even write his name in English. Matter of fact, when my grandmother and grandfather got married, my grandma taught him how to write his name so he could sign their marriage certificate. Wow. Um, but, yeah, but because of that, you know, um, I, I, can, I can say who I am and, 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 and speak a, a bit of our language. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up to, to be proud of being uh, who I am. And uh, matter of fact, I remember being a little kid and playing with those little rubber cowboys and Indians, you know, like on our front porch. Mm-hmm. And there was some kids in the neighborhood, uh, a little uh, you know, black kid, African-American kid, and a little kid who was Mexican, you know, and, and um, I'm, I'm very light-skinned and uh, light eyes, light hair. <clears throat> My mom's Irish. I mean, what am I going to do, you know? <laughs> um, so um, so you uh, got the best of both worlds as far as cultures right? that got uh, beat down by everybody else. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I'm play, we're playing these cowboys and Indians on our front porch, and, and I said, here, you guys be the Indians because you guys are brown, and I'll be the cowboys because I look white. And I wasn't thinking nothing of it, but my mother about lost it. She's like, your dad's an Indian and your grandpa's an Indian and da-da-da-da. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) I just want to be on the winning team once, you know. (laughs) Um, You know, because on TV, we we always lost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, I just, (laughs) uh, I was always brought up to be very proud uh, of it. And we grew up, even though um, I would go back and forth to Oakland, Oma and, and visit with grandma and grandpa and then, you know, into uh, California with mom and dad because um, we lived in Bakersfield. And there's a lot of Okies in Bakersfield, actually. Um, 
we, we teasingly say it's the uh, big, uh, the, I live in the third largest city in Oklahoma and people say, well, where's that? And you say Bakersfield, California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A- anybody who's read the grapes of wrath right, understands they, this they, concept. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of Okies there. So anyhow, um, <laughs> uh, Going to school and, and, and doing that. I remember going to see when I was in sixth grade or fifth grade. No, maybe eighth grade. Eighth grade. <laughs> Haley's Comet. And we, we came to January school. January like, 86, I believe it was. Because nah, I so, was born in 85 and I know it's in the newspapers from when I was born. Yeah. Right on. So, yeah, dude. So I go to school at like three o'clock in the morning, which I thought was kind of cool. And we're out there with these telescopes and. We're all looking at Halley's Comet in the sky. And that was my first, like, genuine introduction to something real that isn't, you know, some uh, reel-to-reel projector movie that we were seeing in school because, yeah, it was before VCRs. (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, anything like that. So seeing that, you know, through the telescope and looking, I could see the tail, like it's, you know, and it was right underneath Scorpio in, in the constellations. Uh, so you got the red Antares, oh, you've got, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it was cool. And I was like, wow. But you got to think, too, that what really sparked my, my interest in space and, and cool things was sci-fi and what is, of course, Star Wars. And I, when I was little, it was knee-high to a grasshopper. I saw that in the theater in 77. Bro. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I'm an old-school Star Wars fan. Um, so, you know, I, I just thought that was cool. And then and growing up, the way I did, going to powwows and, stuff like that because i was not at home in oklahoma all the time um we would go you know to local powwows and stuff just to my my parents always thought it was was that we need to stay connected you know was it a dichotomy where there was like two parts of your life there was my my indian heritage and then there was i'm in bakersfield and i'm just going to school with everybody else there there was and you know um it's it's kind of helped me growing up that way to deal with it because I've also, in, in Bakersfield, I've, I remember walking outside of the little corner store in our neighborhood. And there's this old man sitting out in, in front of the store, an old cowboy type, you know. Um, and uh, he said something about damn Indians. And I heard it, and I turned and looked at it, and I said, I'm an Indian. And he looked at me, and he said, I wouldn't tell nobody. So, you know, there was that, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was that, too. Yeah. But it's always been like, and I never had this analogy until I went to college after I got out of the service. But uh, I, it's like going down a river in one foot in, in each canoe. You got two canoes and one foot in each canoe. And, you know, every now and again, you hit the rapids. It's kind of tough keeping them together, you know. Um, and if you take your foot out of one, you're going to get wet or, or worse. So you got you to keep both feet in there, and you got to keep them together. So it, it's tough sometimes, but at other times, it makes life a little easier. You've been riding a catamaran your whole life. I right? have, so I don't really know any different. Yeah. Uh, I, one time we were having a, a, a gourd dance um, just over here in Frontier Village, um, which is tribal land that uh, the tribe leases out to commercial uh, places and whatnot, the Target and Home Despot and everything else. Um Desp- but one of the empty spaces there, the tribe let us use for our Gordon ceremony. It was in June, so it was like great to have air conditioning. Yeah. You know, uh, the the concrete floor is a little rough on the moccasins, but it felt it, pretty nice. It in felt the pretty on- nice the atmosphere. In, in, yeah, and the the creature comforts of AC. So you know, we're we're doing our Gordon ceremony, and we get done with it. And you know, there's folks uh, filtering in and out that are, oh, what's going on? It's Indian stuff. I'd like to see that. 
Um, and another, once again, a cowboy type. Um, myself and uh, my buddy Tony were uh, taking off our accoutrement, you know, our, our tribal uh, regalia in a parking lot. And, uh, you know, packing it away in our cedar boxes and whatnot, feathers and all that. And uh, this this gentleman, older gentleman, comes up and he, he just stops and decided it was he needed to tell me that, hell, you don't look Indian at all. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I do that on purpose. And then he had a very perplexed look on his face. And I said, it's easier to get a job that way. And my buddy Tony, who's full-blooded Navajo, he just starts busting up, up laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got it, you know. <laughs> but this old man didn't seem to understand the joke, and he kept moving along. But, I, you know, I still get it. I still yeah. get the, 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 the comments and the, the looks and the whatnot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, you know, even, even in the service, um, it, <laughs> they would send my – Myself and the other uh, native guy that was in our platoon, who's uh, Matt Hawkins, he's Ojibwe, he's from Wisconsin. And um, they'd always send us out on, you know, reconnaissance or on scouting missions or have us out on point. And I, I remember going to one of my NCOs and starting, you know, why do you keep sending Hawkins and I out all the time, you know, for scouting missions and for, for whatnot? Because, <laughs> well, you're... you guys are good at it. Right. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I uh, knew that was coming. What? You put your ear to the earth and you, right. you listen to the... Yeah, right? Yeah. Listen for the railroad. Tap what? Yeah. Um, sorry, we've all had the same training. Everybody in this yeah. platoon has had the same We all training. went to basic yeah. together. Right. The together. same number of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as a group. By the way, I want to highlight that, that that stereotype to this day is still oh, yeah. going. Yeah, like yeah, in, in the Jurassic World film, you have Chris Pratt. And one of the famous lines is... I was in the Navy, not the Navajo, because the Claire character asks him to try to track the kids. Track. So that's an ongoing stereotype oh, yeah. to this oh, day yeah. in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's like, <laughs> so Sergeant Mitchell, he says, oh, you guys are good at it. What are we talking about? We've all the same training. And he's like, well, yeah, but you guys keep coming back. I'm like, this. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, Sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go cry now. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, anyway, and getting out of there, I, I always when I was a little kid, I always said I want to be a soldier. I did that. Um, eight years later, I get out. I'm using my Montgomery GI Bill to um, go to school, and I'm looking for like the easiest thing I can do. <laughs> and so I looked through all the, back then it was a paper you didn't yeah. go online and yeah there's a pamphlet yeah it was a pamphlet it's all made in a newspaper type because they'll they printed so many of them to hand out it's cheap yep. mm-hmm. and i thought american indian studies I said, heck that's gonna be easy i can right? ace that right. <laughs> grandpa used to tell me indian stories all the time it, it's I like my mexican friends who took spanish and i was like come on guys <laughs> right well i didn't realize i was gonna have to learn uh, not only stories um, but uh, Indian worldviews, you know, religion, things like that. And not only for my own tribe, my own people, my own culture, but for, you know, all the other indigenous people. Across Which the is continent. so, so much. Like, w- it, to use a blanket term like Indian or Native American or even indigenous people, mm-hmm. it's such an overarching blanket term. It is. To try it and is. gather what's underneath this umbrella. Right, because yeah. everyone, we all have our own languages, our own beliefs, our yeah. own stories, our own... Um, worldviews, our yeah. own um, relationships with the government, our own everything. So I was taking Indian law, and I was taking Indian art, 
American Indian art, American Indian law, multicultural pluralism, and American justice. And I could have just... And you didn't drop out. No, I didn't. You just kept going. Well, because, you know... I was a paratrooper in the army, so there's no like, there is no giving up. You don't go around the hill. You don't go over there. You go through the hill. So uh, you you have to jump out of that plane. Yeah, there's no <laughs> hiding in the back. Yeah, no, you <laughs> hide in the back. They yeah. will kick you kick literally you. out <laughs> the door. Um, so you you do the thing, and so I just I toughed it out and I did it. Um, so you know anthropology, archaeology, you know all the stuff. I should have just took one of those things and just kind of stuck with it, but I ended up doing the broader thing. Got my degree, got out, and was like, okay, what do I do with the degree in American Indian Studies? Nothing. I ended up becoming an electrician for 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so, it's the true liberal arts degree like right, that. You're right. like, okay, I'm yeah. broke. Thanks. Yeah, right. Oh, well, there went that $40,000 from yeah. the Gummer GI Bill. Uh, but um, I ended up, my wife is a Yaki uh, um, and Kiowa. And, 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 and tell us what that is. My uh, Yaki people are, they have a reservation here in Tucson. Um, and then the rest of them, basically when you, they drew a line on a map and said, this is Mexico and this is the United States, the Yaki people were split. So you have Sonoran Yaquis in the Sonoran Desert in, in Mexico. And then you have the Pascual Yaquis who are in Arizona. So she is from the Sonoran people, but the Yaquis uh, go back and forth and they're able to go between the two and have dual citizenship so they can um, visit relatives and have ceremony and, and all those things. So my wife is Yaki. And so we ended up here in Arizona. Um, she's a lot smarter than I am, so which isn't saying much. But she <laughs> she um, uh, got a fellowship to continue her education. She's a Fulbright scholar. And um, she is currently teaching at Arizona State University right now. Um well, not right now because it's Christmas break, but <laughs> um, but yes. So um, we ended up back here, and um, oh geez, I forgot where I was going with all that. Ed- <laughs> education is Educate. the niche where you can get in with a degree like that. It, it is. So we ended up here in, back here in Arizona, and um, I we come across the museum, and uh, at first I was like, well, we're never going there. Museums with with Indian country have a really bad rep. Uh, the grave robbing thing, yeah, and the whole exploiting. Uh, native uh, cultural resources for their personal gain um, and exploiting the people. So when they have, you know, oh, we have a native basket weaver coming here and, and they'll make a bunch of money on admission and so on and that person gets, you know, peanuts and, and then they're sent on their way so that they can have an event like that. Yeah. Um, so with, with native people, museums, archaeologists, and so on, is, there's a... There's a, the a taboo. taboo. There, yeah. It's like, we stay away from those... Scientist people, they just want to take from you. So, but now uh, you are the scientist people. Now we now yeah. we, we yeah. are the scientist people, and with this this education we have, and with um, that reclamation of what is ours, and to have a say on um, either way, yes or no, we're not going to allow you to treat our ancestors this way, and we're not going to allow your interpretation to be what you consider fact. Um, that we can get in there and tell our own story yeah, um, with our own uh, point of view and have our own venue to do so. And we see the same thing through through history. Look look what the British did and the French in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, they yeah. just yeah. pulverized yeah. it and took it all. And, and Egypt, I mean, 
uh, Hassan, uh, oh, the Egyptologist, yeah, the famous yeah, yeah. doctor. Uh, yeah. yeah doctor like Hassan. he's one of the most knowledgeable people on Egyptology yeah. and he's just begging to get items back into Egypt so they can the, study them because yeah. that's their history. Oh yeah. No, the, the history between like Manny said, museums from the Victorian era mainly because the Victorian era is the foundation of 90% of museums here in the Americas. Yeah. And, um, to, Highlight a story. I don't know if you heard the story about the paint pigment known as mummy brown. No. Okay. So the paint, and this story was told to me by a uh, uh, Dr. Timothy King up in Stanford. So in the Victorian era, people of culture would get paints and go to Egypt and do their little like holiday and become like entrepreneurs and culture. And part of the entrepreneur culture was they would purchase something called mummy brown, which was a paint pigment. That was actually made out of the ground-up remains of mummies. And that was something that was sold and was considered like high art. And then, so that's, that's like a tip of the iceberg of the cultural damage and the uh, desecration of graves that were done on a broad scale just by the Victorian establishment of museums. And that's in Egypt. And sadly, it didn't stop in Egypt. It no, we see that in every every all continent. here in the Americas, yeah. especially in the Americas, because one of the biggest hit artifacts and and even landmarks that was a victim of that was known as the mounds, the the Cahokia and um, Moundville, Missouri area, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, they're known as uh, the Mississippian nations, and what that means, it's not just the state of Mississippi, but the entire Mississippi River, and that, uh, that extended into the Carolinas and, and all through the southeast. Yeah, th- those are my ancestors. Yeah. And my folks are originally from what we consider now Eastern Tennessee. Yeah. And there's mounds there as well. So that mound building culture, the Mississippi culture. Yeah, it was huge. Well, I think they've even said the the Cahokia, the the main city center, at one point was one of the largest cities in the world. It was credited. The population was like millions. It was credited to be larger than the population of London during the early 18 to 1900s. Yeah. That's how big that city was. And then even here in Arizona, we have... Uh, Casa Grande, and then in New Mexico we have Cahokia. Cahokia. I um, hate when people Chaco. say Casa uh, Chaco, Grande. Chaco, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we have a lot of large structures, but sadly a lot of those were pillaged because it, literally with the mounds, we tie back to that story of Egypt because around the nineteen, I think twenties, maybe nineteen twenty-two, uh, Howard Carter discovered King Tut, uh, Tutankhamun's tomb, and all everybody focused on was the gold. There was a ton of gold or treasure and there's always something jewels valuable. and emeralds. So when people were digging up the mounds in North America, it was labeled as like the King Tut of North America. What's this bone? Toss it out. Exactly. Like you were encouraged to dig up mounds to look for treasure and you would do it as a private citizen and you would do it as an academic. Uh, museums were even okaying this practice of destroying like uh, uh, St. Louis, I believe, is the one town. They had over 100 mounds, and only one has survived to this day. Wow. And that's just oh, half of one. Half of yeah. one, yeah. yeah. We, we had the slide of it when we yeah. did a talk at the museum. And that just is a testament to the destructive nature of academia. So that, that's why the, it's not so much a stigma of, like, you know, North American versus Western uh, mindset or something. It's like it's a literal fear because uh, we did a Halloween exhibit just recently with the Museum of Indigenous People. And one of the walls, we actually showcase photos of desiccated graves that were in actual academic papers. 
And we told people up to the 1980s, uh, actually misquoted, I said up to the 60s, but all the way up to the 1980s, you could open an academic paper. And if you were indigenous or uh, from a Native American nation, you could find a photo of your grandmother freshly dug up and all her belongings taken and put in a museum and her bones are in what's known as a bone room in the anthropological department. Which means a cardboard box on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, and that was the... That was how much damage was done. Like, these aren't ancestors that lived tens of thousands of years ago or even 5,000 years ago or even 1,000 years ago. This was your freshly buried grandmother that was dug up. That's how, like, that's how much carte blanche the academic community gave people to just dig up human remains. Uh, So that's why we have federal laws now protecting these remains. It's, It's because we've done so much damage that we need federal protection of these remains to stop the amount of damage because that's the one thing with uh, uh, like you said you were fortunate to get your stories mm-hmm. but even then there's some stories you didn't get oh yeah and oh, they're gone for me because we were extinct like almost 90 percent of our stories and co- oral history and culture is gone and it's because it wasn't that we were on our way to extinction it's because between the concentration camps also known as indian reservations and the mass destruction of our sacred sites and the mass digging up of our burial grounds all that oral tradition all that history was lost for for the contrast my family on on all sides was basically Mormon settlers that came over in like the 1830s, 1840s, yeah. Irish, British, escaping the, the potato famines and all of that. Yeah. They get here and they're treated like crap because they're the second bottom of the barrel now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Indians are here and the Irish are here. And but my grandparents still were able to go into cemeteries when they're doing this genealogy and they would do the, the pencil rubbing over a, yeah. a gravestone. Yeah. And that's because it was next to a church uh-huh. or in some place that was protected. You can't even do that. No. You, there's none of that. No, no, not at all. Yeah, it, it's, it's a sad testament to, again, how our people across the entire continent were considered like subhuman. Yeah. We, we weren't even considered a human. And that's actually from an anthropological paper. They were, the Indians are referred to as savages or savage brutes. It's actually in the Declaration of Independence. Yep. Um, we are referred to as savages. And on top of that, there is a practice known as eugenics, which is a kind of form of a skull measuring. So if anybody watched the movie Django Unchained, when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is measuring the skull, that's based off a real thing. That happened in real academia. And that's what made the conscious clear for the United States government to come in and march people to their death, women and children, because we weren't even considered human beings at one point. We were considered subhuman or like a Neanderthal throwback yeah. in North America. And so that's what kind of, that, that's what we say. Again, we don't like to use the ha button term racism, but it does apply to about 90% of what happened to our culture throughout the Americas. And well, and you use the word like, like savage. Yeah. When I was in middle school and high school, you would call your friend a savage if they were, you know, messy eaters or something like that. Yeah. And now I look at that word. It's a word that I now try not to use. It's, it's like... There, there's cultural appropriation to words that it's like, hey, you just don't say that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, but when I was growing up, it wasn't even a thought. No. no. It was yeah. just part of our, our vocabulary. Oh, yeah. And no, I, I used it. And, and that's a testament to how much was lost, like, as far as commonality and, and culture in the Americas, like, just pop culture. Yeah. Like, I'm an indigenous person who didn't know he was indigenous. And when I found out I was indigenous, I didn't know what nation I belonged to. 
And even then, I was just used to using this word commonly because it was a word that was taught in public schools. Yeah. And, and we even did a lecture, like 90% of the education you get about indigenous history or Native American history in public schools to this day is based off outdated data that was written back in the 19, early 1900s. Yeah. And there's been no effort to course correct any of that history. So you could still technically, your, your, your son or your daughter could go to school, open up a book, and read that we are still savages and we went extinct at the end of the American Indian Wars, and that's something that's still publicly taught in it, public it's schools. It's true. When, when I typically have tours of you know, school children, a class of school children in, uh, in the museum, um, you know, I'll, I'll introduce myself in Turkey and say where I'm from, and then I'll say it in English so they all understand. And then I'll talk a little bit more about the museum and so on before we get started on our tour. And I'll ask the question, say, can anybody tell me yeah. what happened to the Native <laughs> Americans? And little Billy in the back will always raise his hand and tell me that they're all dead. And I'll say, wow, I hope Dad knows. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> uh, no, buddy. Standing right here. We're, we're right here. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. still here. You can pinch me. I'm real. <laughs> yeah, right, I'm real. Um, and, and this is Melanie, and this is Barbara, and they're you know, yeah. and here's Irene, and here you know, they're all from these tribes. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they just have it in their head that uh, we're, we're not here anymore. And it's a part of actually so many people. Like you, you said, you were light skinned, and growing up, it was very easy to to feel like you weren't that dark-skinned Indian Native oh. American, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and that you didn't even know what yeah. your culture was. Yeah. You know, when I did a, a 23 and Me, it said that I was like 3% Native American. So somewhere at some point, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah Grandpa yeah. was screwing around, whatever it was. And <laughs> it, it, it very possibly could have been rape. You know, more than likely it was. That that was very common. Yeah, no, that. well. And that's in so many people's culture. Like, no, you're not just white. You're not just brown. You're not just black. You, everybody has so much culture. Uh, You've got Irish culture, too. That's still part of who you are. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. Although, I've, you know, I've never been to Ireland. Um, I want to go. <laughs> I do want to go awesome. one time. Yeah, I think yeah. that would be cool. Too. I, from what I understand <laughs> with my Irish side is uh, uh, a great, great grandpa came over here and worked on the railroads and ended up in, in, in Indian Territory, yeah. which is now Oklahoma. That's where their railroad kind of ended at the time and married uh, a Cherokee woman. Yeah. And then <clears throat> kids and so on in marriages and then boom, all the way down the line, here I am. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah. I recently, we had a, a flight to Kentucky and I had a couple hours and I, I had downloaded a show on Amazon and I didn't realize it was from like the 1990s. And, but one of the things, there was an episode that was talking about black Indians mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how yeah. integrated the slaves when they escaped were often very welcome into yeah. the tribes because they were like, Hey, oh, yeah. we've both experienced the worst of the worst of what this, this world and this culture has to offer us. Oh yeah. And these individuals, they were like, you know, when I walk down the street, even like people within my tribe that I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm with the tribe. They're getting racism from them. And I was like, yeah. wow, but everybody is such a mix of everything. Like oh, we yeah. all have such a unique story. Yeah. No, no, a few people know that the Irish were one of the first like slave forces brought in by the British into the Americas. Yeah. And when the Irish were able to get free, like you said, the indigenous people took them in and they commingled, they married, they had kids and it was a platonic relationship. Uh, same thing with, uh, people from Africa, and then they became 
not by their choice, African-American. Um, and then even then, African-Americans were commingling with the Irish because we were all suffering from the same thing, which was the like... same sy- plight. Yeah, systemic racism and... You're not rich enough. You're not a rich white man, so... Mm -hmm. Oh, not even that. It's just literally, like, literally slavery. (laughs) Like, they were very broad. They were using eugenics at the time as well with the Irish. Yeah. And and comparing, you know, with the pseudoscience of eugenics. Oh, well, we measure their skull. Well, he's got a millimeter bigger nostril. Exactly. He's probably (laughs) part monkey. Um, And so they were doing that with the Irish. And if you look at a lot of those old cartoons, political cartoons of the day, you know, with the signs Irish need not apply and so on. You look at these these patty images, and they're very ape like. Yeah. Um, so any any time that, that they and you know they quotes uh, didn't like somebody, they were fit into this this uh, monkey category. You see so it with the, the, the Jews. Uh, yeah, right? got a lot of it. Yeah. You yeah. see it with the with, with, with black folks. You see it with, with with indigenous folks. You see it with the Irish. Um, now the Scots, even though they're the same genetically people. Um, didn't get that because they were with the crown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they weren't fighting against them like, like the uh, like the Irish were. Yeah. So, you know, therefore they were good guys and they weren't put in that same lump, even though genetically they're all same Celtic. Yeah. I will, I will note, though, that the, the Scots were forced to bend the knee. To the <laughs> it, it was interesting. I was watching uh, Outlander, and yeah. in one of the later seasons they end up in North Carolina, and they were making that connection. They said mm-hmm. – the government's doing to the Indians here, to these Mohawks and these Cherokees, the yeah. same thing that they did to us 50 years ago mm-hmm. yep. in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. No, oh, 100%. So it's what you do with the undesirables. Yeah. 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 And then to, to tie it back around to, because um, I know we're, we're talking about backyard uh, astronomy. astronomy. <laughs> well, and, and all science. All science. Now we're getting yeah. to backyard cemeteries. Yeah. Um. No, well, yeah, right. No, but the, one of the things that, because I'm going to tie it all together. I'm good at this. So one of the things that, again, part of their way to gloss over a lot of the mass genocide happening in North America was this, this concept that we were not an advanced people. Uh, we didn't have metallurgy. We did. Uh, we didn't. We could not create advanced structures and cultures. We did. Uh, we still see the ruins to this day. They're popular tourist attractions. Um, we didn't have a written language. Manny pointed out. We did. Um, and then one of the other things we did do, uh, and not a lot of people give us credit for that, we had our own constellation maps. We had our own star oh, yeah. maps. Absolutely. Um, in fact, some of the petroglyphs uh, that we have at our museum actually fe- feature the Venus star. Uh, so we were actually actively mapping out the stars, just like the Egyptians and the Romans and every other advanced culture. I the believe time. there's the one in Chaco Canyon that documents a solar eclipse yeah. mm-hmm. from like 1042 AD or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, supernovas yep. that were documented the same year in New Mexico that they were in China. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole uh, pictograph, I believe, system in by the Chumash. Uh, down toward, I think, Joshua Tree National Park. Mm-hmm. And it's a legit star map. It maps the constellations. It was named something uh, Egyptian, because that was kind of a thing to do, was oh, to name yeah. big ruins and artifacts, either after Egyptian motifs or after... They loved the Egyptian, yeah. Or after South American or Se- uh, Mesoamerican mo- So Montezuma's Castle is a great example. It, Montezuma was never, never here. Never here. But it was named Montezuma's Castle. We have a Montezuma road right here. A lot of Montezuma. A lot of Montezuma. Uh, never got here. Uh, so that cave with the Chumash, which was used to map out the star constellation, was actually called, I think, like Anubis Head Cave. Something like that. And yeah. it's because they found a dog pictograph with a dog head 
Um, so they're like, oh, well, Anubis. Anubis. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly Egyptian because these, yeah, these, right. these, these Indians aren't smart enough. To, yeah. yeah. So. Well, and it was also uh, a very common misconception. They all made pyramids. Oh, yeah. 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 And a lot of that might have been a throwback from the mound build. Because remember, the mounds were labeled as like the, teen, the King Tut of North America. So it makes sense that that kind of like visual and audible hot button term was just translated over to any significant easy to apply yeah like oh this is anubis head cave because you know egypt and that was a an extinct culture and that also goes toward that extinction mindset like they're everybody's viewing our accomplishments as a extinct culture ergo we are extinct ergo why we actively as a as a community have the we are still here movement because that's something that we're still teaching kids born in 2022, uh, that Native Americans and indigenous people are still here in North America. Yeah. Yeah, you can go to a powwow and see a whole bunch of... Right? Indians, right? You could you could watch a <laughs> World War II documentary on the Code Talkers, but right. for some reason, like again, when you, talked, when you told me that story about that cowboy guy that uh, confronted you, yeah. it was hilarious because you probably served more military time than he has ever oh, yeah. done in I, his I'm lifetime. I'm more American than he could shake yeah. a stick at. Like, so. the indigenous people, yeah, yeah, the indigenous people have fought in more wars than half the people that scrutinize us have. As, every every war. Though yeah. I found it kind of shameful when I was uh, coming back from Colorado one time time i you know i could go down through gallup and flagstaff or i could come across northern arizona and and, in through like um cameron Mm -hmm. in that area and i i don't remember the name of the town but there's the burger king yeah and it's it's the code talker museum is like shared with the burger king yeah yeah i was like come on guys yeah this this is what we've they we all know the code talkers it is world renowned that they saved us there's, from speaking Japanese. There's, right? there, there's movies. Yeah. So like there's literal yeah. Hollywood movies. Adam Beach is in one of them. Yeah, yeah. And so they're like, grab a Whopper and uh, learn yeah. about the Code Talkers. Yeah, on the learn wall. about these people so that saved America. How that happened was this. Um, anytime big business wants to get on the res, um, the tribal government's usually like, well, you got to do something more than just plop okay. a store on our land. What's so, your give back? Yeah, what are you giving back? So they said, oh, We'll do a Code Talkers Museum. <laughs> and, of course, the Navajo Nation's like, yeah, okay. Um, we'll take it. Not thinking it would come out as, pardon the, the pun with the with the burger joint, but cheesy. Yeah. Um, Double cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no offense to those brothers that, that, that you know, sacrificed their lives and, and brought their, their language forward so that uh, we can not speak Japanese. But uh, it could have been done better. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. my opinion. Certainly. Well, not but, only that, know. but like you also have to think about it from another aspect. Like the fact that only Burger King or McDonald's or Dairy Queen is even willing to do that on indigenous land. And yet the United States government, specifically the armed forces, is not willing to do Didn't that. Didn't do it and hasn't that, done it yet. That says a lot. No, it's no, not but. so much that the indigenous nations are choosing to do this. It's like they're the only people that are willing to do this type of recognition. And it's a shame that the only recognition that we do get for these people that served for our country and died and saved our country during World War II, their only recognition is like, well, this burger chain came in. and <laughs> get, You can see uh, a medal yeah, on the yeah, wall. Yeah, like get the croissant breakfast sandwich and learn about these people that saved our nation yeah. in, in, in a very quiche manner. So a lot of it is not so much like they chose to do this or the corporations. As they were the only ones who were willing. Yeah, the yeah. corporations are even 
terrible for doing this. It's like they're the only people that are willing to do this, yeah. and that says a lot still. You now, know? you guys do a lot of that here. Yeah. And you've really transformed the museum in the last couple of years from, like you were saying, a misappropriation and, mm-hmm. and the wrong reasons sure. for having the museum into what you're doing now with education and even Halloween. You had a haunted house, but you were you you showed other aspects more than just the Anglo-European version of Halloween. Right. Yeah. Well, we, we, you know, Halloween is, is, well, it's an Irish holiday. Yeah. <laughs> it's Halloween. But, um, the, what we were trying to do in there is well, what we always do with everything is try to educate. Um, so some of the, the exhibits, when you went through the, 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 the spooky house, um, they had to do with serpents and spiders and bats, which to the Western mind, ooh, spooky. Um, where is to most indigenous people here in North America, the serpents and those spiders and those bats are part of our creation stories. They're part of our, um, uh, we consider them brothers and sisters to us. The spiders considered a grandmother that taught us to weave, you know, or brought fire to the people. Um, the bat teaches you not to judge people by their, by how they look. Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, Sorry. Um, <laughs> he also, you know, the bat's good. He eats bugs. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. We have a good Those relationship. My wife bats. loves yeah. bats. I yeah. love bats. Yeah. 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 She's like, they're so cute. I'm like, I don't know if they're cute, but. I, I, I little say, mice with, you know. Yeah. yeah. The fruit bats are adorable. They're like <laughs> the flying foxes. You ever see one eat oh, a banana? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so education, education, education was what we were pushing with the whole thing. And to help people understand a little better. I mean, you got these these nutty shows on TV of of Skinwalker Ranch, yeah, yeah. and oh, it has man. nothing to do with what a real no. No. shapeshifter is. It's uh, these these guys scaring themselves constantly with with phony baloney UFO, whatever. <laughs> um, and so we we straightened out a lot of those mythos and a lot of that misunderstanding, and at the same time. Yeah, we tried to scare the crap out of you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's part of the fun. And here's some M&Ms at the end. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Have a candy. Great and uh, for, for the adults, there was, you, you could purchase an adult beverage once you got out. Because some adult apple that. cider, yes. Yeah, you might need that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we we tried to do our best to educate. And Josh curated and set up that entire thing. Yeah. He's like a one-man show. That guy's a demon (laughs) making stuff happen i mean josh is just amazing yeah no i I was fortunate because uh, prior to coming uh to town here and working with the museum um i worked with other museums back uh, back in the coast Uh, so we worked with the cooper center of paleontology we worked with the los angeles museum of natural history which is a huge museum it's right next to the coliseum where we hosted the olympics okay uh we worked with the la brea tar pits and we also did convention shows so we worked with uh uh, at the time it was called Kamikaze Expo, but now it's called LA Comic-Con, uh, originally under Stan Lee, who passed away, and also Elvira. Uh, so we had a large experience board of like hosting exhibits, pop-up exhibits, and then doing visual effects gags, because I also come from old school Hollywood and doing visual effects. Uh, so we were able to do things with this haunt that we, a lot of people didn't know how to begin to start doing these things. Uh, one of the main things was petroglyphs. We were able to feature petroglyphs that you could actually see and take photos of uh, in this exhibit without harming the actual petroglyphs out in the wild. And even people asked us that didn't know the laws, uh, which was a great, uh, 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 what's the word? 
not segue, but like a recognition was, of a recognition, but it was, it was a great like badge of honor for the oh, museum. Yeah. Like they, they legit came to me after the exhibit and they were like, well, where do all the artifacts go? And I'm looking at them like, what artifacts? Like in my head, I'm like, what artifacts? And they're like, oh, all the stuff on the walls, you know, does it go back to their museums and stuff? And I, I didn't break that, that illusion for them. I'm like, no, it all belongs to the museum. So it'll go to them. But in my head, I'm like, these were all replicas. Yeah. Like, and I made these last week. Yeah. <laughs> like out of like foam and old visual effect, Hollywood uh, secrets, trade secrets. And so that gave us a, a badge of pride of like, we were able to get the illusion fully over there and the immersiveness of teaching people all this stuff was that much more uh, complete. Like you went up there and you legit thought you were seeing a petroglyph. Yeah. And you legit thought you were seeing replicas of artifacts because we also had them in tandem with actual artifacts. So that that smooth um, transition had to be very linear. It's like you're looking at a real Tohono O'odham basket of a bat, which Manny provided, and that had to translate smoothly over into these replica members pottery of bats. And the transition was smooth. Everybody looked at all the artifacts, and they could not discern, like, one artifact from the other as far as what was a replica and what was authentic. And that's what really gave us a sense of pride was, like, the illusion was complete, and we were able to successfully get this exhibit going and teaching everybody about, like, the um, misunderstanding of a lot of these symbols and what was an actual ghost story versus what is misunderstood as like a cult of the spider or a cult of the bat or even a cult of the wolf was the thing and teaching them like no these it's because we treated these animals as our brothers and sisters bat and spider are revered like eagle and bear and hawk like they're all a part of the same lexicon uh because we understand that respect and that balance with the natural world uh, which, when you think about European mindset, they were more into the industrial world. They were all about, like, machinery and factories mining. and mining. Yeah. So when they come over and they see this kind of harmonious existence with the natural world, it was more of a shock to them than they were a shock to us. Well, anybody who was harmonious with the earth like that was burned as a witch. Well, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah. You're helping a woman give childbirth? We, we, we must be a witch. Why would yeah, you yeah. use rosemary oil? <laughs> I, know, right? yeah. I, I point out every, her. every CVS would have been burned to the stake back yes. then in Salem. <laughs> yeah, right. The word organic would yeah. not go up. No, no, no. Oh, just wow. the word pharmaceutical was like, you're a witch. <laughs> he has penicillin. He's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I had been to the Museum of Natural History in New York. And, and oh, of yeah. course, you know, they've got the giant whale coming, yeah, hanging from the yeah. ceiling. But then you go into other rooms and there's a T-Rex. I know that's not the real T-Rex. I know that the real T-Rex is in the back. And a lot of that stuff, now there is a lot of stuff that you're looking at. You guys have a lot of stuff that's on display that's real, but you Uh, also have stuff that's replicas. Yeah. I saw the the Smilodon. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks real. Like you're saying, like, I thought it was real. When you unveiled that to me, I, I said you cut this out of a wall somewhere. Like, <laughs> where is this cave art coming right. from? Who, and who broke these laws? Yeah, yeah. And how did you get it out? And it didn't break. Yeah. I was, I was blown away. You got, you've done an amazing job. And it's not just the production of it, but it is painted to look like the real tones of the rock. It yeah. is stunning. Yeah. It is. No, I, I actually got samples of the Sedona sand to match the color as best I could. Uh, because that's part of the the aspect of uh, technically my my term my label is a scientific illustrator, um, but I also do paleo art, which is kind of like a more niche term. 
Uh, but it has to do with scientific paintings and reconstructions and replicating artifacts or fossils and stuff like that. Uh, so I was able to bring those skill sets because I'm mixing those with Hollywood visual effects skill sets. So we're getting a lot of hybrid skills that are being able to be applied here. And the Museum of Indigenous People has kind of become this hotbed of like future tech as far as being able to replicate things like petroglyphs. Wait, wait. You know? You're saying Indians aren't? extinct they're, right, they're still right, into right. the future and can do these things yeah like, and that's the that's the main takeaway right like right. we're both me and manny are indigenous people and we are forwarding the understanding and academia of indigenous studies and anthropology and archaeology and you can't do that if you're extinct you know <laughs> well you know and the whole the whole premise of what josh is being able to do with 3d scanning some of this this paleo art and then bring it into the museum, printed, and then being able to replicate it. I mean, perfectly. Yeah. That means that that original art is untouched and it's protected preserved. and preserved. Yeah. And you can study it and measure it and poke at it and touch it all you want. And to. they'll still be able to study it in a hundred years when their exactly. technology is advanced. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or when you know the next schmuck comes along and spray paints white power over yeah. the because that happened. That did happen. Yeah. Um. You know, and then you try to remove that, and you're degrading the the, the rock. Yeah, itself, it's erosion. And the, yeah, you're destroying. To pressure that. wash that off is a right. hundred years of rainstorms. You can't even right. pressure yeah, wash it. No, like you we have tell to people, treat it with chemical. Yeah, to get that like off. There, there's two types of graffiti because I just did a lecture for the YCAAS like this week. You have um, a with, chapter is, of yeah. a archaeological amateur archaeological. it's the arizona archaeological society uh so and we talked about the two different types of vandalism and you think one is less damaging than the other until you start understanding the types of rock art especially when you're talking about star maps you know it's like a lot of those star maps are painted they're known as pictographs and petroglyphs are carved onto the they're etched into the yeah so most petroglyphs interesting enough suffer from physical carving of initials or or derogatory terms like white power that was done to uh, birthing rock in moab uh utah and that's immediate damage you you can't even you can putty it and try to fix it as best you can but it is now physically carved into the rock it'll never come back and not only that we have people that go out there with their guns and they're just shooting rock art with their revolver or their five millimeter or their rifle so that's permanent damage uh but then you think like well if it's spray painted on a petroglyph that's carved in, then maybe the damage is less. Mm. But then you have to think about, like, well, what about a pictograph, which is painted onto the rock, and now you have a paint painted onto the paint on the rock. It's a chemical to remove the paint, but it's also going to remove the original paint. Exactly. And that's sadly what happens 100% of the time. Like, anything that is graffitied onto a pictograph, like these star maps, we lose all that data because they have to refix all that stuff. And the one nation that suffers the most from this is the Chumash. The Chumash, which is a coastal tribe in California, 90% of their pictographs have been destroyed, not by erosion or even the sands of time, but because of vandalism. Um, it's because people are spray painting their names or carving their names. This on. person hearts this exactly. person. Billy was Somebody here. Somebody was here. Yeah. 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 And, and, it's, and that's data that's permanently, we can't recover that data. And the only reason that we can recover some of the data is because the, uh, I think the San Francisco Museum of Art uh, had artists that would go down there and replicate these star maps on uh, color pencil. And now we are using that to kind of reverse engineer the damage that was done 
uh, using uh, photo altering technology and 3D scanning and a combination of all these technologies. Uh, but it's also a testament to like, we didn't, we wouldn't have to do all this if you just didn't spray paint. Yeah, like, just don't be a jerk. Yeah, just don't uh, spray paint YOLO on a 10,000, <laughs> yeah, you know, not, not <laughs> year old piece of rock art. You know? yeah, don't be a jerk is a, is a tough one because there are so many jerks. Oh, yeah. there are. Out yeah. there, and there they are. just refuse to do, you know, the decent thing ever. Um, which kind of sucks. It, it doesn't speak well for the human populace, honestly. Um, education, 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 always yeah. education. I would say the third kind of vandalism that I've that I've seen and that we've alluded to is when I was at the museum, we looked at the the petroglyph recreation. Mm-hmm. Then we looked over and there was a star map that had been physically removed from a yes. location. Yeah. And we don't know where. We don't. Some it was some Yahoo thought it'd be a great coffee table. Yeah. And they removed it. Probably and with so a bunch of So we don't have the friends. whole thing. No. We don't know yeah. where it came from. We no. don't know what it's representing, but it's clearly got stars on it. Oh yeah. yeah. Was it Orion's belt? Was it the Big Dipper? What were we? What was this asterism? What we were they denoting? Know. We don't know, and we'll never know. Yeah. Now, and that's the thing that people don't understand, including because this was done by so-called academia that did this. Yeah. And Manuel wasn't being facetious when he said it was used as a. Co- it was literally used as a coffee table. This star map, which. Again, people don't understand, we align these petroglyphs with the sky. So once you remove the context, it's useless because it's not even aligned to the right star system. Well, and it can also tell us the age of that item. Absolutely. Everybody talks about carbon dating. Well, that works for living things. But when you're looking at rocks that are carved with the way a pattern of a stars, we know that the earth progresses over Mm -hmm. time and we can regress and say, hey, we know that's 27,000 years old. And that's how we know that people crossed the land bearing straight and they've been yep. here that long yep yeah exactly is by using astronomy oh yeah mm-hmm. no yes. not, not too uh, absolutely yeah <laughs> there's there's you can't you can't carbon date that no. no well not only that most people even backyard astronomers don't even know the stars change yeah they're moving over, you, you look at the star maps now uh, like up-to-date nasa star maps now and then you go ten thousand years there's different stars in the sky yeah. that are in different positions in fact there's a tablet uh, that's Egyptian, that actually has certain star patterns that date Egypt to roughly like 6,000 BC. Um, and then it also dates these stars at the time because, and that's how they know this is the date because they were able to track the star movement and get that solid date. One of the most interesting ones is the Pleiades, the common name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Subaru in Japanese and, and in Cherokee, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> Anisutsu? Sutsu? Anisutsu. Okay. Yeah. All these cultures talk about the seven, uh, the seven, seven people, sisters, seven the seven brothers. Mm-hmm. You can only visually see six stars today, but somehow they knew there was seven. And yeah. when you look with binoculars or a telescope, you'll see hundreds. Yeah. But at some point, three to 5,000 years ago, the seventh one was visible to the naked eye. So we know that these stories come from a time when they could see those stars yeah. that have now moved and changed. Well, we when I was a boy and I first heard the story, um, it was Grandpa says, "Well, if you look up there, how many of them do you see?" And I'm trying to count, and he said, "If you can see seven, then you got good eyes. But if you can't see all seven, your eyes are no good." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how he told. And I was like, oh, "I didn't want to. St- I only yeah. see six of them." 
<laughs> right. Crap, I need glasses. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. the thing was, Grandpa's already wearing glasses, and he didn't want to say nothing because he knew his eyes were <laughs> yeah, bad. Right. So, oh, no, I can see seven of them. Okay. <laughs> That's only one story of, of constellations and asterisms. We have been working on naming some exoplanets. We have. And it's a really unique thing that in in our solar system, all of our planets and their moons, for the most part, have Greek or Roman names. Yeah. Uh, You get into out past Pluto, you have some Polynesian names. There's mm -hmm. Makemake and a couple others that are out there. But that's really the extent of it within our solar system. So now as the International Astronomical Union is allowing us to start naming things that just have a... 14 character designation that's real boring and hard to remember <laughs> we're looking to other cultures mm-hmm. and this year's naming competition is indigenous languages the first 20 objects that the james webb space telescope is going to study we're coming up with those names and you guys each had really cool stories for two specific star systems that that were amazing i want to talk about that for a yeah, minute. Yeah. Who who wants to start you should start, man. Should I start? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, you know what, brother? I don't even know the nomenclature to the, our star system. But it's, it's GJ 436B. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And the other go. one I have to read because I don't remember that one. Yeah. So, um, the, the red star, because we had our red team and blue team. So, the, the, the red star. Um, this guy, um, what, what what we did is, is looking at this guy, uh, we realized that the the exoplanet that's going around him is very very close, um, and also has a tail because it's so close. It's the, the star is literally blowing. It's vaporizing it the, like a comet. Yeah, it's blowing the the atmosphere right off of this thing, so it does have a tail, and it's very very close. And so the Turkey word for for star is Nokwisi. So Nokwisi would be the name of that guy, and then, and then we would go with Awahali for that that exoplanet that's there. And the reason why I went with that is because there is a story that goes amongst uh, most of those mound-building cultures. Because I can't even say it's a totally Cherokee, but it's a southeastern uh, woodland. So story. you'll have the same story in different oh, yeah. languages, different cultures, but the same Correct. basic. But the same premise. basic story is going to be there. And so what it was is, is um, at one time, and this is probably around the Ice Age, because um, the Pleistocene. Scientific. <laughs> at the end of that, the, you you had um, the environment changing so rapidly. Glaciers receding, right. the Great Lakes filling. Right, things are going. Animals on. are moving. Right, animals are moving, disappearing. Yeah. Um, uh, crops, if what they were being able to grow, um, and and when they were able to be sedentary, weren't, weren't doing as well. Um, so the times were tough. There was there was famine. There was there was um, uh, folks were not. Uh, living their best life and this young man this young warrior was um concerned for his people so he devised a prayer and um he's praying and praying in his village and he just wasn't getting anywhere so he wanted to deliver it directly to the great spirit so this warrior makes his way up into uh the appalachians and smoky mountains where my people are from and he gets up as high as he can go and the air is starting to get thin he's tired he can't go very much further and he comes across Yona the bear and the bear says to him because the animals chose to speak to us back then before we screwed it all up and they won't talk to us anymore <laughs> because we're <laughs> idiots but um, uh, the bear says to him two-legged you know what are you doing here you don't belong up here you belong down there in the village with your people what, what are you doing 
And the young warrior explains to Yonah. He says, uh, says Yonah, uh, bear, I have this, this prayer I'm trying to deliver to the great spirit. And our people are suffering. And, and I, I want to make sure this gets handed, this prayer gets uh, delivered directly to the great spirit. Um, can you help me? And the bear is taken aback by his story. He feels for him. It's two-legged. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take it as far, as far as I can go, see what I can do. So he takes the prayer, and he continues on up the mountain. Uh, higher and higher he goes. And the bear gets up to as high as he can go on the top, and there's hardly any trees up there. And there's this one tree kind of sticking out of the top there where Awahali, the eagle, is nested. I can picture this dead snag, you yeah. know, and the eagle sitting up there in yeah. its nest. And uh, Yonah, the bear, goes to Awahali, the eagle, and uh, Wahali says, you know, Yona, what are you, what are you doing here? You don't belong up here. You belong down there in the trees, you know, in the forest, chasing rabbits and being a bear, eating berries and such. And the bear tells the story to Wahali, the eagle. And the eagle also is taken back by this and very impressed and uh, feels for it. So the eagle says, I'll take that prayer and I'll take it up and see if I can deliver it to the great spirit. Now, Wahali means he flies the highest. So, Wahali flies as high as he can go, higher than he's ever been before. And as high as he can get is up to the sun, which is our star. You know. And Arnaquisi. Arnaquisi. And um, the sun says, you know, eagle, you know, what are you doing up here? You belong down there on, on earth. And uh, eagle tells the sun the story about this prayer he's trying to deliver for the, the people, the two-leggeds. And the son says, you know, I speak with the great spirit all the time. I will deliver your prayer. He goes, but first give me one of your tail feathers. So Wahali reaches back and plucks one of the tail feathers out, and he hands it to the son. The son takes it, and he kisses it on the end. That's why a golden eagle feather is black on the end and white um, at the base. And he gives it back to the eagle and says, take this back to those two leggets, and from now on they'll know they'll have a direct connection to the great spirit, and they'll know that basically God's chosen people in that way. So that's why most all Native people uh, value the eagle feather and, and see it as a, a very honorable thing to have and possess and, and to be gifted. Um, so we chose um, Nokwisi as a star and then Awahali, the eagle. And as we, hopefully, as a contingency, as we go forward and, and with James Webb looking at these, James Webb Telescope looking at these, these exoplanets, we find more planets in that system, we can go ahead and name them Yona and Kanati, the Great Hunter, and so on, and have these names already set up for that star system. Yeah, and we've learned that the majority of star systems do have multiple planets. Right. But the ways that we can find them might be the transit method, where a, a close-orbiting planet blots out the star mm -hmm. very quickly so we can see it every two days it goes in front of right. it and it dims and brightens dims and brightens the longer term ones we can see as a, a large planet like jupiter pulls on the gravity of the star right, and, and makes it wobble. wobble right so now you've got different observatories looking for these different features right. there's a very high probability we'll find two or three more planets around that star system sure. and be able to use those names sure and, and with james webb too looking with ir instead of uh you know just your naked eye, like we did with Hubble, uh, we're going to be able to see that light refract differently as a planet passes in front of the star. And so we're, we're going to get 
yeah, I learned some science stuff. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be able to get uh, a lot more data, uh, when we, depending on no matter where we look, actually, a lot more data than we ever have before. I mean, if you look at the pictures that, that James Wood Telescope has been able to deliver, looking at the exact same uh, area of, of known space that Hubble's been looking at, you're getting way more. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> absolutely the pillars of heaven image yes, yes. is just striking the similarities yeah. uh-huh. and then the, the, the extra that it can bring out. Right, right. There's so much more there, so much more. It's going to be able to see the the tail of this planet. Right. So We'll be able to see <clears throat> this eagle tail. This eagle's tail, that's right. So it'll, it's, uh, um, I, I, I really hope it's chosen. Like I said, it'd be exciting uh, for... For me, but, you know, for, I think, indigenous people all over just to have some of that representation. Um, but hopefully the tribe doesn't get too upset that I'm out here naming stuff without asking them <laughs> first. But, you know, whatever. It's one thing when we do it with ancient Latin or ancient Greek, right, the dead, dead languages, language. yeah. because yeah. those people are extinct. Yeah, no, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not around any. Italians are not Romans. They no, are not the no, same. No, no, no. But I think, if anything, it is a, a very strong um, representation, and it gives uh, value to a language that has been undervalued. Yeah, sure. And, you know, and I, I think it all goes to the fact that we're still here. Yeah. And, and uh, to be able to be a part of this is pretty doggone exciting. I'm pretty stoked. And you were able to bring your son along, too. Yeah, I was. So Wyatt. Um, that was Wyatt. on his birthday, too. It was on his yeah. birthday. <laughs> he was itching to go eat some birthday cake. He was. He was. And, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I've am I'm been holding something out on you guys. Okay. The reason why I thought it was really special when I did bring him, and it was on his birthday, is his middle name is Awahali. Oh, wow. Oh, look at that. His middle name is Eagle. So I'm glad he's uh, he's on the red team then. Yeah. So <laughs> he, when he, you know, um, he wasn't aware of what I was going to do, and and in, in this way. So when we did that, he's like, "Oh, you know, he didn't say that. <laughs> And then we got in the car and we're going home. He's like, "Dad, are you really going to name Planet after me?" I said, "Well, no, I'm naming it Eagle. You just happen to be named." <laughs> But happy birthday, buddy. You're like, you know? that's awesome. <laughs> right. Unofficially, wink, wink. Yeah, unofficially, <laughs> just keep it yourself. <laughs> but he, he was stoked on that. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I just want to say, hey, Manny, you, like, you were an indigenous person that studied science. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's sad because I say that with, like, a lot of emphasis. But, like, that's, again, part of the stigmas we're breaking. Yeah. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the fact that we're still labeled as these savages or these primitive people. You weren't just bending a stick of cotton. Exactly. With some we're, we're not gathering yeah. water from the we're creek with our rabbit. bare hands and stuff right. like that. And it's like, yeah, no, we, we actually are active in the sciences. Yeah. And like the shirt I'm wearing is actually designed by a Navajo artist for the Perseverance rover that's oh, wow. currently on Mars. And they're naming rock formations on Mars, Navajo Dene names. Yeah. And that's huge. And that's yeah. a part of this uh, naming that's being done by this organization uh, is carrying on, I think, a very positive message. Like, regardless of how the contest goes, I, I do want to give them some props for even doing this in the first place. Because this is something that, this is my first time being a part of anything like this. And I think this is your first time being a part of anything oh, yeah, like this. Definitely. And the fact that we're even able to be a part of something like this, or a, a Diné artist is able to have... Places on Mars named after their language 
is a huge step, I believe, in the right direction, you know. And for me, growing up in, in Prescott, of course, the, the Yavapai tribe, the, the Hopi, the Navajo, and then even into, like, the Sanawa, you know, I've... I've been to Wapaki multiple times and it blows me away that they were the first ones to have indoor air conditioning. Like oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, they had indoor air conditioning oh, yeah. and these are cultures that have been underrepresented and forgotten about. And now we're giving these cultures in the United States, not just the Southwest where we live, but across the whole United States, this mm-hmm. opportunity, but this indigenous languages is more than just here. We're talking, what about the Aborigines in Australia? Right. Yeah. Indigenous tribes in Africa. Totally. Every yeah. continent has this, you know, with the exclusion of Antarctica. Uh-huh. You've got this everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you know? have uh, the Tongva. You have the Pacific Islanders. Yeah. Uh, you Look have- at Russia. Russia is the largest country on earth, and they have so many indigenous tribes yeah. that oh, yeah. have just been beaten down by the government. Yeah. And... We, we totally need to represent for all of these. So this uh-huh. is a really cool opportunity and a step in the right direction that needs to continue for a very long time to really get to where we need to be. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and thankfully, you, like, the stars have a lot of stars. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of them out there. <laughs> and you know, the Sami people in, in the, the Norse country in Europe. So the Sami are indigenous European folks that are still living their old ways and still speaking their language and, and so on. Where um, a lot of they're the they're the uh, traveling reindeer hunters, right? They that's yeah. right, yeah, that's right. No, th- those people are awesome, and you know they they still maintain. They're one their, of the last nomadic people on earth. They, they are, and they, they're they're awesome folks, and a lot of folks from from Europe, European ancestors who don't even realize they they're still indigenous European people doing the thing. Yeah, uh, you know, in in Europe, so you don't count them out either. That uh, when we're doing these Standing Rock uh, protests up for the. The Dakota Access Pipeline, Sami people showed up. Oh wow! And like, we're there with with the other indigenous. They said we people. got your back. Yeah, yeah. It was like we got your back. It's all about it because you know, they're getting screwed by their government too, just yeah. like the rest of indigenous folks are. Um, so yeah, it, it would be great to see any indigenous names and and languages up there represented. They're I'll be really fantastic. sad if we lose. I'd be really excited if we win. But I know whatever the submissions that are accepted are going to be amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. No, and like, have validity. Yeah, like I said, the, the organization that's hosting this, um, it's it's a great gesture that they're even doing this. Yeah. And that they're opening up this contest. Because I can only imagine there's other groups that are doing the same thing we are doing and other podcasts or other presentations that are being listened to. And that's a great avenue to teach these people about these stories and teach them sure. a, a language that is still around that is considered extinct yeah. by a people who not, are not extinct that are considered extinct. Uh, so we're already doing a lot more. With it, the hot button turn is called SciCom or science communication, and we're doing a lot more SciCom about the actual indigenous people of the Americas by doing all of this outreach and doing this podcast and sharing these stories and it's, it's great to just to kind of be a part of that you know and we decided we weren't just going to be a part of that once we were doubling down on ourselves <laughs> so so yeah. we're kind of doing the whole thing twice yes <laughs> now we also have the blue team i am the blue team you are the leader of, <laughs> of our blue team and i have to say i i practice nikwisi and awahali i cannot say these Othum is hard. It yeah. is. It, it is. It's a much different language it structure. Is. It's a lot more consonants, a lot more commas and pauses. Yeah. Uh, very hard on the, the back of the throat, uh, which when you see a lot of European languages, uh, they actually have trouble speaking certain dialects, even Japanese or Chinese. 
uh, because the tongue dialect is different. We, 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 the muscles are, haven't developed the same. Yeah. Over like a lifetime. We, we go hard in our nouns, um, but our consonants are kind of blended versus other languages. They're hard on the consonants, but they're easy on the vowels. They, they get blended in. Um, so yeah, no, it's definitely a, a much tougher language. <laughs> and for, for that language, did you, you of course didn't grow up speaking it natively. No, no. So what you've learned has probably been pretty difficult on you. It has, yeah. it, it has, and it hasn't, um, because I, I can just vocalize certain things and I did, um, uh, some voice acting work by, back in Hollywood. So you, you just learn how to use your, you learn how to do certain noises or sometimes we had to do the own V our own VR or audio, uh, for like creature effects and monster sounds and stuff like that. So I learned how to alter my vocal cords in a certain context. So when okay. it came to learning this language, it's tough when you read it, but once you audibly hear it, it's like, oh, okay, it, it's a lot easier to replicate um, versus, you know, if you're reading it off the page, it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like there's a lot of O's in this language. There are how many O's do we do we enunciate for this language? And for, for your star that we we picked out we have hip 65426b it's got a couple extra numbers in there. <laughs> this one's 385 light years away and it has a very different star system yeah yeah no and uh, i should i should disclose before i go any far, farther i am a technically a citizen of mars uh so <laughs> <laughs> so and the running joke we did at the talk was like you know if anybody's listening who's also from mars we will go over our plans to take over the earth and a different well, I don't <laughs> I didn't see if that was in the astronomical <laughs> union rules are there allowed to be Martians in this? I, I, I guess we're exploring new okay. territory no yeah because I'm wearing uh this is a, a lanyard from JPL for the Mars 2020 uh launch with the perseverance and there was my little patch that I had when we did the talk okay wait, uh, wait, wait a minute you're indigenous, but doesn't that make you a colonizer? Right. <laughs> right. I'm just circling back like they did it to us. We're going to do it to Mars. Like you're going to do it right. <laughs> yeah. Break the hoop, brother. Break the hoop. <laughs> right. Well, thankfully, there's no indigenous life forms yet found that we on know Mars. Of, yeah. uh, so we're not. Which is what all of this is about. Yeah. yeah. James Webb is looking at the atmospheres of things for signs of methane and signs of life. We're looking for what are the indigenous populations. Perseverance is driving around looking at rocks for signs of organic molecules. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. even fossil life. Yeah. They're, they're looking at it from a microscopic level. Um, uh, so if people who are wondering, like, why is he saying he's from Mars? Because uh, <laughs> I'm sure that should be expounded on. Um, so back in 2020, actually back in 2019, 2018, there was on the JPL website a thing where you could put your name in, and they would put your name on a microchip and physically attach that on a plaque on the Perseverance rover and launch it to Mars. So now that the Perseverance rover has touched down and is actively looking for things on Mars, there is like 10 million interstellar travelers. Those that names will always be on there. And so our names are always going to be on Mars. Yeah. Uh, so that's, Mine's right there with you. Are, are you yeah. part your fellow Martian? Yes. Okay, so we'll yeah. go over our plans later we'll, to take yeah. over the Earth. Yeah, cool. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Interplanetary conquest. Interplanetary. I'm leaving now. <laughs> <laughs> that's her podcast, too. It's okay. He's only a human being. It's all right. <laughs> so, but no, so that's, um, that's kind of what this touches up on. So you're a part of this yeah. whole collective. You're part of our interstellar travel. We've got a special club. We, we, did you get the passport? Yes, I, I got did. the passport. Yes. That was really cool. Uh, so basically for those people that are interested, there's another rover leaving earth to Mars, I think in 2025. So yeah. I don't think they've named it yet. They haven't named it, but they are taking names to do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to get a plaque this time. Uh, but if you guys are interested in being a part of the Martian, uh, 
conglomerate, I guess. <laughs> uh, you could go to the JPL website and you can join us, man. You can join Mars. Join Mars. Colonizer. <laughs> so, but that's where that whole story is. So, you know, I should flash the badge at the camera real fast. <laughs> so, but, um, so that my, my space geekdom goes far and wide, yeah. you know, and, and doing all these things. So when Manny approached me about doing this, because uh, one of the rules of this whole contest was it had to be a physical member representing the nation. Uh, so we couldn't con- we couldn't submit a name that was Iroquois or Cree or even Apache unless we were a part of the nation in some way or form. Uh, so Manny, who's Cherokee, is giving a Cherokee name because he is an active representative of the nation. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I'm an active member of the Hiatsed Nation, so we can talk about Otham names. Uh, that's part of why we're doing this, because we actually active representatives. We're not just picking names out of a hat yeah. that sound cool. We have to actually be a part of the nation. Uh, that's part of the rules. So part of the Otum Nation, it, again, because we were extinct for so long, our stories are a lot more fractured, uh, which goes into naming the planet. We named it the Hunter Planet, uh, or uh, Moadam, uh, which is a Otum word for hunter. And that has to do with a lot of the background machinations of, like, everything down to my nation to actually even finding the planet was a treasure hunt in some way or form. Like, we went over just what I had to do to find out that I was here at Saidotham. And just finding the planet, there's a great quote by uh, one of the people that first got the images for the James Webb uh, telescope. And he even said it was like a treasure hunt. Like he had to filter and look through certain light and 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 do a lot of different things with the telescope to even get some of the first images yeah, this of the planet. 65426B was the first one that yeah. James Webb has actually looked at. James Webb hasn't yet looked at um, Nequisi. Yeah. But it did look at... A Moabdam. Moabdam. <laughs> so the best way to remember the name is, uh, okay, so I'm not going to lie. Part of my secret geekdom is, you know, space, but also like Dune. Okay. Dune, Dune is a great yeah. space drama or a space opera. And when I first saw the planet, it looked very like, like the planet Dune. It looked very sand-like. So the best way to memorize the name is the fictional name for the Moadib. Uh, it also sounds very similar to that. Moab so Dune. instead of Moadib, it's Moadam. Uh, so that's kind of the hidden geek aspect of our name. I like that. Because <laughs> uh, you get a lot of stuff named after Star Wars or Star Trek. But Dune is a very underrated yes, space opera. I love Dune. Uh, so I feel like there should be no more Dune fandom out there. Uh, but yeah, so that was part of naming it Moab Dam was it was a hunter planet. Like every aspect of this planet uh, is a part of a hunting a hunter's journey. Like even when we went did the planetarium talk and they were trying to look up data or the rotation of the planet and, and its its distance from its star and all this stuff. Like, it was data that was constantly changing. And we felt that that was appropriate for naming this planet because future uh, star watchers and backyard ast- astronomers and even people that work at NASA or JPL, they are constantly going to be on that treasure hunt to look for more data on this planet because it is just such a rogue planet that's out there just doing its own thing. Um, and then I think during the talk, uh, the PhD, per, uh, uh, the doctor that was a part of my team. Dr. Bergatti. Yeah, she even mentioned that there might be aspects that this planet captured other planets at some time, um, or the planet itself was captured by the star. So there's already kind of an additional hunter aspect that's kind of a part of this whole yin and yang relationship between the star and the planet. Yeah, it's one and a half times the radius of Jupiter, so it's huge. Yeah. 
it, it's almost big enough to have ignited fusion and been a star of its own. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's only 14 million years old, which is baby yeah. in astronomy terms. And for it to be 14 million years old, there should be a ring of debris. There should be gas. There yeah. should be dust. There should be ice. There is no debris disk. No, there's no debris disk. So it doesn't meet any of our parameters that exactly. we know of, of planetary and star formation. It had to have been captured by uh, a hunter. Yeah, it, exactly. Something, something <laughs> happened here. Exactly, yeah. It wandered through space for millions of years and then was found, whatever it may be. Yeah, either the gravity of the star pulled it in and now it's going through its uh, rotation cycle or something else. Again, these are all questions that people are going to have to hunt for in the future of astronomy. Uh, so that's kind of also what ties into the hunter as like why we name this planet the hunter planet Moadam, because it's like just within the name, you know what your relationship to this planet is going to be as a stargazer or as, as an astronomer or someone who studies planets or even black holes or something like that. Uh, there's a lot to do with gravity that's in, in play with this whole planet and the star. So it, it's definitely one of the things where like when I started reading up more about it and getting more research on it, it's in the Centaurus system, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like a lot of different accents. Centaurus or Centaurus is, is also known as a hunter in the Roman mythology. So it's like we, we're just hitting all the right things, like the indigenous name, uh, the indigenous nation I'm a part of, my own journey with the indigenous people of my nation, uh, the star's history with the star, with its planet and the planet's history with the star being captured or not, uh, the, the, the star system it's in. It's all hunt. It's all a hunter's journey. It's, it's the hunt. And that's what we're doing here is we're recognizing that aspect of the planet. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. And then because its relationship with the star is touch and go, we decided to name the star uh, Tosh Itoi. Uh, so Tosh is the Otem name for star, uh, which also credits like our history as indigenous people. We had names for the celestial heavens. And just like the Cherokee name for a star exists, the Otem name for star exists we named the stars, you know, we were an advanced culture. We weren't a primitive culture that like, you know, the, if you imagine that scene from the Lion King, like what are those big balls of gas yeah. in the sky? Like we're not Puma or Timon in that situation. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like we actually were naming. Puma, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like we were actually naming the heavens. Uh, so we decided to carry on that tradition of naming the star Tosh Itoi because uh, Itoi goes into one of our recognizable symbols, which is this. This is the man in the maze. Um, and it's actually known as the house of Itoi. So Itoi is the man that you see on there. Uh, And this is a bigger version of it, and it's also a a different iteration of the maze uh, symbolism. And even the patch I'm wearing uh, from Montezuma's castle also has a petroglyph, which is an early representation of the man in the the maze. maze. Uh, Because part of the people that built Montezuma's castle is known as the uh, Hohokam, and the indigenous name we have for them as Otam is Huhugam. So it's very close. Uh, but our, our relationship with this symbol goes far and wide, and it reaches all through Arizona. So we named it that because of the relationship with the planet, with the star. It's kind of going through it's what's known as life journey. And the House of Itoi is about that. It's the life journey that you go to. Because the story of Itoi is he built the house to hide from his enemies. Itoi is known as first brother. Uh, so he's known as one of the creators of the people, our nation. Um, so when he was the first brother, uh, there was a war that broke out, and then he had to build a house to protect himself from all his enemies. Uh, but he lives in a sacred hill in the Otam Nation, and that's part of the journey. If you go seek out 
the first brother or Itoi, you are going on your own life's journey and you have to navigate his maze his to maze. reach him. However, the maze is kind of impassable. Like you don't reach the center to meet the sun or Tosh, the star, until you're complete with your life's journey. So it's very much an ascension story of like you're going through your life's journey and you reach the end when you finally go on to the next world and then you meet the creator, you meet Tosh. A culmination, an advancement to the next Exactly. So that's what we recognize when we talked about these things. It's like we, we have a hunter culture. Uh, we were using atolatls. Some of, some of the things we collected were actually shark teeth. This is a, a, a shark tooth that's kind of been plated with titanium. So I wore it kind of as a throwback to that. Uh, but when we did the talk, we actually had an otam atolatl that we actually feature thanks to the museum. Uh, so we have a lot of hunter aspects, and we also have a lot of aspects with this life's journey with the House of Itoi. Uh, so that's what we kind of decided when we uh, when I was charged with finding names for both the star and the planet. It was finding this unison. How do they tie together in all different aspects, not just in an indigenous way, but also in astronomy and in life. And even the person that found the images on James Webb, he had to go through his own little journey as a hunter to get these images. So that's kind of what it all ties And the journey together. of what people have to do, like what you did, to find your own history. Exactly. It's like I'm, an, I'm still on a hunter's journey because the Hiatsed Nation is actually a disbanded district. So we are recognized as not being extinct, but we still don't even have a home. And that's kind of what goes into, like, you know, that's a lot of the, again, we talk about the passive effect of, like, well, what's the harm of thinking indigenous people are extinct? You know, we can just tell them we're not extinct. But it goes into different levels, like on the national level, like our nation doesn't have a home because we were considered extinct all the way up to the 1990s. So when they were divvying up land to indigenous nations to be like, okay, this is your home now. We weren't a part of that thing because we were considered extinct. That's the harm that comes from. Well, I think around uh, Tasha Toy, when they do find uh, that that you know rocky planet in the Goldilocks zone, that's yeah, like yeah, one point yeah. three times the size of Earth. Yeah, <laughs> what's the Odom word for home? That's what we need to name it. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. <laughs> and and that that can be your guys, you know, your claim first claim on. Oh it. Yeah, yeah, no. In fact, we'll we'll save that. Uh, so that well, that'll be a little bread and butter uh, nugget if we end up winning this contest. That you'll get to find the Odom name for home. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's definitely one of these things where it's like, that was our uh, naming process. Like, yeah. that's what I went through. Uh, I talked with my sister. And then we, again, because the language is so fractured, I actually, actually had to get an old Ultham uh, dictionary uh, written from like the early 1900s. And I had it with me when we did the first meeting and we were talking about the names. I, I don't know if you remember that vaguely, but that little old book that I had when yeah. we first met at the planetarium. We were in the dark. We're like, let's turn on the lights yeah. a little bit. And here. I was sitting there looking, researching names. Like there was active research I was being done on this extinct language, if you, if you will, that isn't extinct. Uh, right up to the time we actually pitched the names. Yeah. Uh, so again, that, that hunter's journey was all the way to like day zero. When and we, hasn't ended yet. It hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> so, so now we need to do something at the museum focusing on ancient astronomy. Yeah, totally. I, I have a, another story for you. It's actually quite com contemporary. Okay. And it has to do with, with uh, NASA and, and when taking those those trips to the moon and the Apollo program. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> so, you know, um, out in the uh, in New Mexico and, and uh, uh, western Arizona or eastern Arizona, 
um, out in the desert there, the Navajo Nation, the the terrain and geography is very much like the moon. Yeah. And, and a lot like Mars as well, and even the coloration. But um, NASA was was testing out one of their, their that, that go-kart they were driving around up there in the moon. And uh, <clears throat> there was these interns there, and they're checking stuff, and they'd move it a little bit, and then they'd check stuff and tighten things up, and then they'd move it a little more, drive around, and they'd mess around. And there's this old man and his grandson who were herding sheep out there, you know, and they're looking down. They're up on top of the hill and looking down at, the, at these, these scientists doing their thing, and these interns, they noticed the old man up there uh, watching. So toward the end of the day, they're getting getting ready to wrap up, and these interns could make their way up the hill, and they, they get old, the old man who doesn't speak English. And um, they explained to uh, the grandson who translated for them uh, so what they were doing. You know, we're sending this vehicle up to the moon. There's going to be some men on the moon up there. They're going to explore the, the, the moon and the sky. So the little boy translates to his grandfather in, into Diné, in the Navajo language, uh, what's going on. And the old man looked at him and said, oh, hmm. And he said, well, is there anything your grandfather would like to say? And they, they brought a recorder with them. Is there anything he'd like to say uh, into this recorder? And we can, we can take it up to the, to the moon. And his, his voice will be up there on the moon. And the little boy asks him, and, and, and the old man says, hmm, yeah, oh, you know. So they brought the recorder to him. The old man said what he was going to say, and, and they finished the recording and said, you know, thank you. And the old man, you know, and that, that was enough. And he walks away and asked the little boy, what did he say? And the little boy just shook his head. He's like, nope, <laughs> nope. So they, they get down into town and, and uh, over in Window Rock and whatnot, and they started playing it for a bit. What, what, what did this They're looking for say? a translator. They're looking for a translator, and everybody heard it. Some of them laugh, and nope, you know, nope. So they finally they get down around Flagstaff before they were going to head back home, and they finally got, they found some Navajo guy that would translate it for them. You know what it said? Beware, they're come for your land. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I it's funny, feeling. but it's not. It'll, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I have a feeling if 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 they they did find these other planets and and they decided to call those home for us, and yeah, our, yeah, they're yeah. gonna want to boon us off in right? Space <laughs> <and send laughs> like, us oh, they have their own planet. Never mind, it can't host life. Let's. Just, huh. This is your new home now. <laughs> Until they find oil or uranium. Right, or uranium. I'm coming with you. If they do send you to space, just know there's going to be some space nerd tagalongs. Well, we're, we're a part of the Mars Collective. Yeah, we're both Mars. So so we got to enlist Manny to be a part of the Mars Collective. Uh, I'll do it on the next one. <laughs> then you can call me a colonizer, too. Well, well, well I want to make a secret <laughs> Mars organization patch. Secret and Mars, like, and Can I just like I'm trying to debate what our mascots should be. The new I, Mars I, Order, like, yeah. No, like, it should know. be one of those aliens from Mars Attacks, bro, with no, the big well, green heads. I was like, debating. <laughs> funny enough, um, not too many people know the Misfits, which is a, a very well known rock band. On mm-hmm. uh, one of their album covers, is this weird looking bat monster, and that's actually from the movie Angry Red Planet. It's known as the Bat Spider Crab, okay. and it's a part of it's about a mission to Mars. <laughs> So that's spider a mar- crab. Is yeah, that like sharktopus, bro. It's pretty yeah. much like it was a sci-fi channel <laughs> you know before. So yeah, like before Piranaconda or Mansquito or something. Uh, Sharknado. <laughs> yeah. Sharknado. So yeah. I want to see if we could get bat- uh, badges, like instead of like you know the lion or one of these old military badges with like a bat or a hawk, we just get the bat spider crab and just be like <laughs> we're part of the secret order of Mars. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that'd be cool. 
I really appreciate you guys coming in today. This has been amazing. I'm so excited for the the education that we are helping to promote because that's what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about sharing an atlatl or or a piece of pottery. That's that's only one aspect of it. Mm. And the language is such a part, an important part of it too, and the stories. And that's something that we get to do through this. That it's hard to do it other ways. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. You know, typically there's only a certain time of year that we tell stories, and it's usually in the wintertime. A lot of our stories involve animals, like you can see most of the characters of mine did. And we only tell them at wintertime because mostly animals are sleeping. They don't know we're talking smack about them. <laughs> they won't be upset with us, give us rheumatism or something. Uh, but, um, yeah, to be, to be able to share those stories and, and get that out there um, – it's pretty doggone cool and making this an avenue for it is pretty cool. So like you said, no matter if we win or not, it'd be really cool if we did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we win or not, we, we still got it out there and I'm excited to see what indigenous language comes out there and what they named it and why. And I'd like to hear those stories too. With the, the 20 that are there, there's going to be some great opportunities to learn about who wins oh, yeah. and who the contenders were and those right. stories that come with it. And then in two years or whenever they do this again, there'll be another group of 20 or 30 and, oh, yeah. and there'll be more stories yet. And the oh, stories yeah. are just limitless. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. I mean, they named a star Beetlejuice. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. Michael Keaton. Great job. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's my favorite movie. A little different spelling. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, and I'm not against doing like pop culture shenanigans like that. They're fun. They, they, they do a lot. They, they do a lot fun. to promote education or interest in the sciences, like the, the, the whole Mars rover thing, that was to promote the sciences, yeah. you know. And then during COVID in 2020 and we were all in lockdown, like that was one of the best alleviation points for me because we were like solid in the lockdown. I was taking care of my family. Um, I, I My apartment suffered from an outbreak. We didn't know anything about the pandemic. So we were all in a very low point um, as far as our morale. And then – this shuttle launch happens and it's screened everywhere. And, and because those of us that got our name on the Rover, we had a personal investment. Yeah. So it's like, it was like we were kind of like with the guys that had their family on the first Apollo mission doing things as a group again. Yeah. We're yeah. like, we're biting our nails. Like, is the rocket going to make it? Is the rocket going to make it? And then when it finally broke orbit and it separated from the boosters, I was just like, this is what that feeling felt like, like it, it, like that joy of seeing that the rocket made it past space. And we were just like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then we got the second aspect, which is like, okay, now it's got to touch down on Mars. The seven minutes of yeah. terror coming <laughs> in. And we, we experience, you hear about that yeah. with Apollo, mm-hmm. you know, and all these missions, but you rarely get that personal investment that made you like feel what those families felt like this. It, it, we didn't have any family on it, but our names were on that rover. And it was the first bit of real joy that I experienced in the middle of the pandemic during year one of the plague, 2020. And the fact that we had so much invested when this rocket is coming down and you're trying to figure out like, okay, is this going to be sold day zero or, or, or are we back to square one? And yeah, technically our name made it to Mars, but now it's in wreckage, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And we don't get to look for life anymore, you know. There were no survivors. Yeah, there were no survivors. <laughs> no uh, robot lived. The, the, Mar- no. the Mars organization died the day it was born. Um, and, and the fact when it touched down and everybody at JPL was yelling and, and congratulating and hugging, 
And I, I, I was a part of that, you know, like even though in a small incremental form, we you were, felt a connection. We were a part of that. Yeah. Our names made it to Mars. So the fact that we had that kind of outreach, like it, it, it's a testament to the power of science communication and science outreach. It's like the fact that we were feeling that in the middle of a pandemic because of this, like, could be argued as a publicity stunt from JPL. It turned into so much more. And I don't even think the guys at JPL know how much it meant to a lot of us because we were hunkered down, feeling our worst or working from home. But our but our 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 bosses were demanding ridiculous things from us. And we didn't know if showing up to work was going to be a matter yeah. of life and death for a lot of us. Uh, so the fact that this meant so much to us in that aspect, it's a testament to science communication and science outreach. And, and on a similar scale, I, you know, I told my son, who's one of our middle school representatives on the group. Yeah. I said, this is something that you're going to live with for life. If we yeah. win, you're going to be able to put on your, like, it's going to become my elevator speech. You yeah. meet somebody <laughs> new and you've got 30 seconds. Exactly. Hey, how are you? I named a planet once. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. yeah. What yeah. have you done? I'm, I'm married to this. <laughs> And, uh, and to you guys, like we are a family of what we're doing right now. And it's something that's oh, yeah. going to be part of our lives forever. And totally. it's something that we're giving to our communities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so cool. That yeah. is cool. It's yeah. No, cool. it's a huge part. And, and again, the fact that it's indigenous related, like it's a testament to the science outreach has now become a part of our, our movement. Like our, we are still here movement. Like yeah, we, totally. And not only will we still be here presently, but if we name the heavens, we'll be there long Forever. before yeah. the, the cosmos are done with long us. Long after any of us are here, exactly. any of this building's yeah. here. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And you know, and hopefully with this outreach, it encourages more indigenous people, no matter if they're indigenous North America to Europe, to Africa, Australia, whatever, even a penguin in Antarctica, if we can, (laughs) um, encourage them to get into the sciences. Yeah. Encourage them to be more um, involved with, if it's not space exploration, but, you know, anthropology, and so that we can have that ownership of what happens um, with our own history here. Yeah. And and I say our, because I I, I do really feel that that, uh, early um, American history is is also everyone's American history. So that it should be respected in that way. No matter what culture each of us feels we come from individually, we are all Americans. Correct. And this is all of our shared culture. We all right. live in this community and in this country, and we That's share it. this history. That's it, and we should all respect it in that yeah. way. Yeah. The good and the bad, yeah. the ups and the all downs. Of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. rainy days and the sunny days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the Mars days, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even when they're a little 37 minutes longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How can people learn more about what you guys offer at the museum? Well, you can go to our website, the museumofindigenouspeople.org, um, and you can come check us out at the Museum of Indigenous People here in Prescott, Arizona at 147 North Arizona Avenue, uh, right next to the Grace Sparks Auditorium and across the street from the skateboard park. <laughs> and uh, we're open typically, uh, and we say typically because we have volunteers and, and not many of them. Yeah, so um, they they run the show kind of. Um, typically, we're open ten to four um, Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday one to four. And uh, every weekend, we typically have a guest artist from a different tribe that comes through and shares their art and culture, and, and uh, isn't being appropriated. And it, that yeah, isn't being yeah, appropriated. That, everything is authentically native. Um, even everything in our gift shop, there's no Taiwanese dream catchers. They don't work, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, no, no purple You'll be dreaming of, dreaming of Sharknados with yeah, that. Sharknados, Sharknados and, right. and, and Sharktopus. Sharktopus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, none of that. But it will help your Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Right. That doesn't it's made count. out of copper, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
everything in our little gift shops and trading posts is all 100% native made. Um, we do not do a high markup, and we're a 501c3, so non nonprofit. So you don't pay taxes when you buy. And can people us. donate on the website? And you can absolutely donate. <laughs> and I'm sure <laughs> you'll, you always right take there. cash or checks. Uh, at, we always at the take cash well. is king, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, cash or checks, we we take uh, the plastic as well. Um, but uh, we are doing our best to instill respect and understanding for the indigenous cultures of the Southwest. I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. Oh, what's on? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And then on, on top of that, Manny touched up, like, we, we are always looking for volunteers. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if anybody's listening to this podcast and, and want to learn wants to learn more about Otham people and Cherokee and even Southwest and indigenous cultures overall, we, we have an open-door policy when it comes to our volunteers. Like, we, you can show up at our museum, fill out an application. We'll give you a call within the week, and we'll do a small interview. Training isn't that terrible. I pass training <laughs> in, like, a, over a weekend. <laughs> so, like, it, we tell people it's a good open door if you want to get into a museum or the sciences. Or even if you're an indigenous person and you don't know how to start doing that, our museum's a good footstep in that direction. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for Native folks uh, here in Prescott, if you're not a, a tribal member of the Prescott Yavapai Indian tribe, a lot of us are transplants like, like Josh and yeah. myself and my wife and so on um, from different uh, tribal communities from all over the country. It's a place where you can come and have a sense of community away from home because you're going to run into more indigenous folks, uh, Native folks that are there and just hanging out. Um so it's not just, you know, stuffy stuff behind glass. We, we, we want it to be a welcoming place and a place where, where folks can, can feel comfortable and at home. And I can tell you it's a pretty good feeling when you go in there. It is. I can agree with that. <laughs> so everybody's welcome. Wanton, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, And then on top of that, um, uh, the other organization I represent is JPX. Uh, that stands for the Jurassic Paleo Art Expo, but we also explore both archaeology and paleontology. Uh, so we got to remind people those are two different sciences. One's Indiana Jones, one's Jurassic Park. That's the best way to remember. <laughs> um, so if you go to our Instagram mainly and our Facebook, you'll actually see a lot of behind the scenes. So for the Halloween exhibit, you'll see the behind the scenes of creating each of those artifacts okay. and all those things. And even when we do exhibit installations with uh, the MIP or the Museum of Indigenous People, uh, you'll see the behind the scenes of that too. So if you guys are into behind the scenes stuff or learning Hollywood secrets to replicate artifacts, figure out how the 3D printed uh, saber-toothed glyph came to be, uh, we have all that kind of documented on our on our social media. And it, what are those uh, sites? Uh, the first one is JPX or the Jurassic Paleo Art Expo. You can search any of those terms. You'll know, find it on Instagram. Uh, same thing for Facebook. And those are our two primary uh, social media outlets because a lot of the other social media outlets are under trouble right now. So we're like, okay, stick, with, stick with Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Well, we will tag those on the video here and uh, on our site. Really appreciate you guys being here today. Thank you for your time, everything you're doing, and uh, good luck. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All hail Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be a professional astronomer or have fancy equipment to see amazing objects in the night sky. You just have to know where to look. Join us next month to learn more about your binoculars, telescope in the sky, and follow the Northern Arizona Astronomical Consortium at facebook.com slash nezastro. From the Rockstar Studios in Prescott, Arizona, I'm Adam England, the Backyard Astronomer.